The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. This week's episode of The Bright Side is a very special and very important episode because we are currently experiencing a movement in this country that is so very important. And I happened to come across a piece of information on Instagram this past weekend. It was a graphic that explained in what ways people can be doing their part to help with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I came to find out that two young Black American women had created this graphic. Um, their names are Ghazi Musa and Sophia Hunt. Um, Sophia is a current PhD student at Stanford, and Ghazi is a former Harvard student, athlete, advocate, and blogger. Um, these two women just really deserve to be heard from on a larger scale. So I'm really grateful that they came onto my show. And as you'll hear in the episode we recorded, they're just both so brilliant, so eloquent, um, and very good at communicating. They're so well-informed. I hope that everyone will enjoy learning from them in the way that I did and just hearing their experiences. And hopefully we can all grow from learning and also having open communication. Thank you guys, per usual, for tuning into this episode, and I hope that you'll enjoy it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bright Side Podcast. My guests today are Ghazi Musa and Sophia Hunt. Thank you guys both for being here. It's so nice to meet you. Honestly, I want this episode to be a, a place where you guys can really share everything that, like, your experiences and everything that you know, because I think what I'm finding and understanding is most important right now is just learning, like listening, learning, and trying to get a better understanding for what's going on. And, you know, you're both very successful and you've both achieved, you know, you've accomplished a lot. And, you know, I, I came across your graphic on Instagram and it was the first piece of material I, I came across that was really, truly helpful to me. And so I feel like you're, you're both very good at communicating. But before we get started on current events, I just kind of want people to get to know who you two are. So if you just each share a little bit about yourselves. Yeah. So do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm Sophia Hunt. I am currently a PhD student at Stanford studying um, sociology. Before that, um, I was at Harvard studying history and literature. But sort of about me, I grew up um, at kind of, I bounced around actually since my mom is an, an academic. So I've always been on college campuses, but spent the vast majority of my time in Charlottesville, Virginia, which was, I think, really an informative experience um, in terms of how one, I think about race, how I think about racial inequality but also how that manifests in society. So I, I grew up going to you know, a predominantly white private school. And I, I think my, my peers um, and also the people in Charlottesville as well was where I first learned how to communicate about race in part because we were in Virginia, which is so central to, to the legacy of slavery in our country and specifically being in Charles, Charlottesville where Thomas Jefferson founded UVA. Um, it was hard to avoid these conversations, but it was also difficult to engage. And I found that, um, you know, I was experienced at the same school, 
um, in a family that, um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate to, to be economically, um, you know, stable, um, but I had a very different experience than my peers did. And sort of in, unpa in unpacking that, I realized that my attitudes towards race, my attitudes towards the law were formed very differently than, you know, my peers who the law was seen as a way of protecting them and they interpreted it as, as face value. We're, we are all equal. And it was sort of in kind of share, learning how to share my own experiences that I realized um, we would only kind of reach a point of racial equality and equity when we can learn how to um, kind of turn to the same page. And so that's kind of how I see my work. So um, I'm trying to understand the different sort of entities, whether it's schools, whether it's um, our family, whether it's our neighborhoods that influence how we, um, how we view race and the law. And so that's what I'm sort of up to now. Well, that's that I, you made me realize one of the reasons that I that your post also really resonated with me was because uh, one of the two, you said something about how like you don't consider yourselves experts, which I think is so relatable for people. That's another reason why I really liked the idea of having you two on here is that it can be intimidating when you're speaking with yeah. somebody who is so incredibly well informed and actually you are clearly very well informed. But I've seen a lot lately online of people talking about how uncomfortable these conversations are. And that's another reason why I wanted to have you both here, because I just sort of want to set exa an example for people of like, by having these conversations is the only way we're going to be able to move forward in any way. Like it just yeah. has to happen. Totally. And I think it's so important to also frame it as we're learning from each other. I, I like, I don't have the answers, um, but I have experiences and I have questions and I learn from, you know, my white peers and friends who also have questions and experiences. And together, I've actually found that our relationships have grown stronger since we understand each other better. Yeah, like even kind of going off that, like to kind of explain like my story and my side of like race relations in this country. Um, I, her, like Sophia said it really well, but like, I think I too, you can use the words of like black privilege. Like being able to go to Harvard is black privilege in a lot of ways and being able to like for me personally this is something that I've had to really reason with and reflect on like I grew up in an all-white neighborhood my entire life um and my parents are Nigerian and Sierra Leonean so like the African side of that comes into play a lot of times when talking about black America and race and racism um and so growing up in an all-white neighborhood my entire life and grew up in the midwest lived there for 16 years and moved to Seattle um when I was 16. Uh, but my parents are in the medical field and my dad's a, like theology professor. So like just having black privilege in some ways has made me, made me in a way like not privy to a lot of things that a lot of black Americans go through. Um, and so in college, it was like almost a learning experience to not run for my blackness, but embrace my blackness because like that's something to be embraced. Even though sometimes society says, and a lot of times society says, to run from your blackness and run from who you are um, as a black person in America, it was a learning experience for me sophomore year to just embrace that and realize like, this is something that powerful. It's something that we can really use in order to enact change and like 
growing up in an all white neighborhood and having a lot of white friends and having a lot of people that don't look like me as my friends, like it almost feels like not my duty because I would say everyone needs to be able to educate themselves on things that are going on with this country, but like almost like a in between or a middleman in some ways to like talk about this kind of stuff because I want my black friends to be able to talk about this kind of stuff with me. I want my white friends to be able to talk about this kind of stuff with me. Like I want it to be a constant conversation between all people. So, well, that's so interesting because I wasn't familiar with the fact that black privilege was even a thing. Like, do do you feel like there's some sort of alienation even just within the black community of people in that way? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like, go ahead. Even, Like, even I think one thing is, like, me and Sophia, like, we went to Harvard. Like, we were in, like, a a thing called a final club, which is, like, a sorority or fraternity. Like, there's different, like, there's different dynamics there when you think of, like, this idea of the talented 10th. That's a term that I learned a lot about in Introduction to African American Studies that was taught um, at Harvard by Professor Louis Gates, um, Skip Gates. And, like, this idea that, like, you're trying to beat not that you're trying to beat racism and capitalism, but in some ways, like, it's like this naive thought that, like, if you go to Harvard, if you do, like, have an elite education, you can beat racism, you can beat capitalism, you can go into these places and, like, beat that kind of stuff. But one, you can't beat that kind of stuff because regardless, every you're a Black person in a lot of ways. But also, like, if you're going to go into those places and spaces and be a voice for the black, for black people, you have to bring people with you. Like, you have to bring Black people with you. It can't be this, like, oh, I'm in this space and doing this stuff, and I'm not going to think about my brothers and sisters that are at a different place, maybe have a different back experience than me. Like, it's a conversation, and it's a bringing of everyone with you. Um, Right. It's like you took that step forward into a space that might be predominantly white, Mm -hmm. and then you're, like, good for you, but then what is that doing for the rest of the community and for the rest of the other people? That's so interesting. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. I just feel like this runs so incredibly deep. Yeah. There's so much that people don't understand. Right. And I think, you know, I I honestly feel ashamed to even to admit this, but I think the reality is, and I've had to kind of accept this over the past couple of weeks, is that, I mean, I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire, and there was just literally zero diversity in the town that I grew up in. And I think that the struggle a lot of people have with the, the the concept of this entire movement is that just because you don't dislike a group of people doesn't mean that you don't have these innate, you know, like prejudices or ideas or biases, because I truly, like, I was always raised, my parents are great people, you know, like, I love them, they're great people. Every day when I would go to school, my dad would tell me to be kind to everyone I meet, like, I feel like they really did a good job instilling in me that I should accept everyone, be kind to everyone, that everyone's equal. But still, I grew up in a town where there was no diversity. So like my only real experience with anybody of any other race was on movies or on the news or on TV, you know, and like, so that's the way that I kind of grew up forming my opinions. And then over the years, you know, I moved to LA, which is such a diverse city. And I sort of you know, I've got, I have lots of black friends now. And I think that's what people are, are kind of confusing is like, just because you have black friends doesn't mean that like you've done your job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what it is. Right. And that's why that's what I'm a little ashamed of right now to admit is that I think in the past, I've always just been really passive about it. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I'm doing, I'm a good person. I'm fine. You know, like not actually being active and actively participating in helping to make a change. And that's why I feel like this time around, 
I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it feels like this is an actually effective movement this time. Like people are actually starting to pay attention. And really, I, don't, I think it's a lot of the messaging is more effective. It's more clear. I think it's actually calling people to really look at themselves and say like, I'm not doing enough. But I hate to say that up until this point, I was definitely one of those people. Like I just was like living my life and thinking everything was fine and not taking the time to like dig deeper and really pay attention. And I'm so excited for what's going on now because I think that this, at least to me, feels like it's a good step in the right direction. Like people are starting to wake the fuck up. And I, um, I saw a statistic this morning that all 50 states and 18 countries around the world have had protests this week for George Floyd, which is like, that's amazing. It truly is. So how do you guys feel about what's going on? This is a, I think it's, this is a hard moment. Um, it's a, I think it's a hard moment for, for everybody. We are in a global pandemic still. And I think we need to acknowledge that, but as we're seeing black people are still being killed And these are instances that we have seen because of social media. So I can't even begin to fathom the numerous other cases that are out there that we just don't know about. And I agree. I feel like this moment feels different. And in kind of conversations with my friends and family, we're trying to reflect, you know, as to to why, like, why are people more engaged and how are people seeing this differently. And I think that we are at a point that what's going on in, the, in this country is not, is not working. It's not sustainable. And, and it's not only people are getting killed. It's that um, there are a disproportionate number of uh, Black people who are homeless. There are dispro- disproportionate number of Black people who don't have access to health care. There are disproportionate Black people who are unemployed. Like I could continually go on, but I think that there's something about this current pandemic that is acknowledging that this country where, you know, you work hard, um, you do what you can um, for your family is is not enough because the laws, the policies, but also individuals are just not engaging in ways that are truly allowing everyone to have an equal opportunity to succeed in our country. Yeah, I mean, I think people in general are just kind of selfish. And it's like, if you if it's not bothering me or not affecting me, then why do I want to deal with it? Right. Which is, I mean, it's a poor attitude. And I think that one thing that has been probably very effective about this particular period of time is A, I think because of the pandemic, a lot of people are available and have time to participate. I mean, it's like, it's actually kind of amazing timing in that sense. Like if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, I feel like it's that people have nothing but time on their hands to really focus on something and be passionate about it. And then also think a lot of people have good intentions, but then you kind of, once you get in the mix, it's like, what direction's the right direction? And, you know, maybe I I think protesting is fine, but I, I, think that looting is bad or is looting okay and what because it's you know I think that there's just so many questions that it becomes overwhelming and people get freaked out or whatever but I think everyone right now is overwhelmed like black people are overwhelmed like like there's just people are overwhelmed and I think it's like trying to figure out a way to be intentional like be intentional with like and I, I know a lot of people are saying take action take action and sometimes action isn't out loud on social media 
like sometimes action is donating and sometimes action is like going to a protest and not necessarily posting about it like it's nice to see people taking action I think on their social media because then it shows like a lot of black people like an active sign of like oh you're taking actions toward this movement but like posting and putting on that social media is performative and like unless we're actually taking those actions and being intentional to like take three actions every single day like maybe that looks like engaging in a conversation like reflecting on like how can I be part of the solution and not the problem like how can I like think about like what happened in my daily day that might have been like there might have been undertones of racism or prejudice in there just taking the time to think, reflect, but also engage um, is like super important. And like actions aren't always outward facing. Maybe it's also inward facing and then taking an outward facing action. I love that. I think, uh, yeah, everyone posting, I mean, I get everyone posting the black square on Instagram, but that's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's like when you're dating a guy and they like your photo and you're like, oh my God, they like my photo. (laughs) And it's like, that's literally the lamest thing that, you know what I mean? Anyone can do that. It requires nothing. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so, I mean, I, I've had to really, I've had to push myself like for, you know, um, I had a conversation with my mom because to what you're saying, I'm like, I can post all day long about you know, I can share all these resources and tell myself that I'm doing something good because I have this platform and I'm sharing the materials and trying to get them out there. But that's, it's truly so easy for me to do that. So I actually had a conversation with my mom because I feel like one of the most important things that we can do is just start at home and like start with our families and start with our friends and have these conversations. And, you know, it was not a comfortable conversation with my mom. She's, you know, she and I think very differently she's a wonderful person. Like I said, she, but, and I think she has all the best intentions, but you know, we're from different generations. We have different backgrounds, whatever the case. And, you know, I had, I had uh, seen the video of, there's a man with his daughter. I'm sure you've seen it where he says, can you show everyone what it is that we practice at home? And she puts her hands up and she says everything that she needs to say if she ever gets, you know, if she's ever confronted by the police. And I said to my mom, that video is everything that you need to understand is going on that's wrong like did you ever have to teach me to do that when I was growing up and she said no but you you know you're from a small town where there was no crime and I said okay do you have any friends who have ever had to teach their kids to do that wherever they regardless of where they live and she's like well no actually right and I was like so that that in itself if we are so fucking lucky that that's not something that we've even ever had to think about I mean that's one part of the problem And it was a 40 minute conversation. It was kind of a debate, just, you know, we're going back and forth. But honestly, at the end of it, she said, wow, that was a really good conversation. I'm really glad that we did that. You know, and I think that as much as it's not fun, nobody's having fun doing any of this. That's not what this is about. It's not supposed to be fun. Right. It's, it's not. And like, this is a moment where we just all have to be, you know, you've seen it. It's, it's everywhere. Everyone's saying it. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, that I think that really kind of sums it up. And I think sort of going back to the like, why does this moment feel different? And, you know, everyone's engaging. Um, and truly, it, it, it feels different because people are acting differently. And I think that is because people are being called to action. And at least something that Gazi and and I are really trying to do is we're trying to invite conversation. We are trying to welcome people in. Um, And, you know, we have to start somewhere. And that's going to be kind of, you know, questioning 
why do we feel safe? You know, what is comfortable for us? Um, and, you know, is that at the individual level? Like, but what structurally, you know, allows that to be? And I think that sort of in doing that is how, you know, we can actually move forward by sort of engaging in the ways that we can. And what I love about this movement and sort of going back to the point of, it feels very overwhelming. You know, there is no leader, there's no leaderhead. We don't have a Martin Luther King Jr. We don't have a Malcolm X. And, you know, so many people have asked me, so, you know, who is the next person? And I'm like, there is gonna be no next person. And that's, yeah. that's okay. And, you know, one, blackness is, is not a mon monolith. And two, the movement has so many goals, which is, you know, at times, like, you know, where do you insert yourself? But I think that, you know, we have folks and leaders and activists who are engaging on, you know, this issue of policing um, and police brutality. But then we also have people who are really deeply engaged in solving inequality in education and inequality yeah. in health. And it's gonna take all of all of us to actually reach the point um, yeah. where we can truly say that we are equal. And that's and I think that's why I'm inviting people to engage in ways where they think that they can have a voice. You know, not everyone is aware of what's going on in the criminal justice system and they may, may not be called to direct their time and action. But then I would turn and say, well, you care about X, Y, and Z. This is what you do in your professional life. Why don't you, you know, engage in activism or reflection there as well? Yeah. And like, even kind of going off that, like, we all have like lanes and talents and crafts and places that we can engage in conversation with this. Like for me personally, like it's in sports. Like I was a track athlete and like being a black track athlete in America and like being a collegiate athlete, like a lot of times you represent a school and you're representing, like you're representing an institution, but is that institution willing to put you on their back and represent you and represent like you as a black person? So like it's engaging, like for me personally, it's like engaging athletes, engaging sports, engaging girls I played and ran with, girls I played soccer with, like trying to figure out like this is a conversation that needs to be happening in every sphere, not just like the political sphere, not just the healthcare sphere, not just like the policy sphere. Like it, it, it is in order to truly enact change, we need to be having it in every sphere of our life. That's really good advice because I do think that would help to just sort of allow people to focus a little bit more on something that they actually feel like they can be contributing to. Because it is sort of, it is overwhelming. One of my friends was going to a protest yesterday that was specifically a political, it was about a specific um, government official mm -hmm. and she invited me to go and I was like but I don't know enough about that situation like that specific situation to go to that protest because like that it was so specific and you know I, I think that that's part of the problem too is everybody doesn't need to just be like scattering all over the place and showing up at every protest it's like find something that you are like that you specifically connect with for me personally I'm like this is not about parties this is about people like choosing people like loving people right. like showing up for people like and I think that's where we have to just get it right. Like it's about people. It's not like choosing a party or choosing a side or choosing like cops or black people. It's choosing people and choosing human life and choosing human beings. Like that's what I think like people need to really search their heart and search like their minds and ask themselves like, am I choosing to love people and choose people or am I choosing to choose a side and choose a party and choose 
not choose people. Like, I think that's like the main core of it. Choose people. I mean, I think this is like the really important messaging. It's like taking any group of people and saying like, this person did something bad. So therefore all of their friends and all of their family must be bad people as well, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is why like sort of what, what Gazi's saying, it's, it's not individuals who necessarily like there are of course there are, there are individuals who you know hold problematic beliefs and engage in problematic behaviors that you know have been documented um but you know when people when we are speaking out against certain institutions and practices it's it's the larger thing that enables individuals to get away with harming black folks it's it's like that is kind of what we're trying to um elucidate and with that we the solution is not you know going to be you know arresting certain police officers that's not like i i i've really been trying to tell my friends that arrests are not accountability arrests are not justice justice would be a living george floyd justice would be a living brianna taylor and how we're going to go about that is not putting so-and-so in an office um that is voting is one way and every like I want to be very clear I believe everyone should vote and exercise that right um but you know politics is is not the answer and I keep turning to the incident with Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper there was no you know police officer directly involved in that. It was Amy Cooper's own individual biases and racism that she probably was not aware of. And I think she actually identifies as liberal that potentially could have put Christian Cooper in harm by threatening to call the police on him strictly because he you know, is an African-American man. So that's why when people say, we have to vote, we have to vote, we have to vote, yes. But that's that's kind of the the, the bar. Just scratching the surface. Yeah. Like, well, I'm wondering to you guys what what do you want to see eventually happen? It begins with I want my my black brothers to be able to walk to our corner store and me not to have yeah. to worry. The first thing I want is is safety. Like that yeah. that has to. What be. do you worry? What do you worry will happen? I, my brother is, he is a, is a linebacker. And so he's like, you know, he's a big, you know, mu- muscular cat. Um, mm-hmm. But I worry, you know, he'll go into the store and my mom always taught him, have your credit card showing, have cash showing, make sure it's clear that you're there to purchase. We don't window shop. That, that is not something that I, I can do. That is not something that my brother's can can do because you know either you know the the police might be called on them someone might say something to them there there's just a myriad of 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 actions that we are just very fearful um of and like so my my goal is like how how can I make sure that that I don't have to worry for my brother's safety every single moment and also I I I can't even imagine being like a, a black man fearing for their safety in every single moment, always thinking about how they are interacting and even knowing when they do every single thing right, that that is not enough. Yeah. Like even I, like me and Sophia are both unique in this. And like, I have two older brothers, like both well-educated black men, but one of my brothers lives in Georgia, 25 years old, same age as Maude Arbery, like goes running around his block, like 
every mo every and my other brother is 31 lives in Milwaukee Wisconsin which is a, like one of the very segregated places in this country every single moment it just is like also thinking about like them driving in a car like driving while black like you can't even run while black now like it's just like it's a fear for like the idea that like I don't want my brother's lives and my life to just be a hashtag like I don't want it to just be like this person died and hashtag this like I don't know it's just I want blackness to not be a crime like that at the end of the day is 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 what I want do you think that it's at all generational? Like, do you think that it it's starting to improve with time? And I think that's the hard thing because I think it all starts with, it all starts at home. Like you see books now coming out about like, cause if I'm being honest, like when I was younger, I didn't see books and I didn't see, I, all my American Girl dolls were white. Mm. Like I didn't see like dolls and, and books and things about embracing your blackness. And so- like, I think there are books coming out now trying to educate children and educate even Black women and or kids that, about, like, embracing that Blackness and loving that Blackness. And I think there's education coming out that is digestible for little children to understand that, like, you can, like, those those developments and those thoughts come, like, when you're younger. Like, even when I was younger, like, I didn't understand race until I was five years old. And, like, um, like something was said that, like, brought up me being like black or like being someone being afraid of me and I didn't think I didn't know I was black until that moment like I truly did not know I was I used to put my hand behind like put my hair behind my ears because all my white friends did it and I didn't have hair to put behind my ears like it's truly just like about like like no age is too young to educate your children like Ruby Bridges like walked she she walked in order for us to in order for black children to run and it's 2020 and black children can't run free they can't play free they can't move free without without possibly getting killed yeah so it's like no age is too young to educate about like what's going on in this country and what's going on in this world and I think that there sort of is a, a general generational wave like you know our grandparents were probably kind of around during the civil rights movement and you know there were concrete things that needed to be done and a lot got accomplished like let's be let, let's be clear like we continue to make progress but it's just knowing that like we're not we're not done so I think you know this age is taking up new issues and um you know our our elderly um, kind of family members and our ancestors, you know, took on some big things, but they took on a lot of the explicit things. They, you know, ended slavery. Like we needed to do that. You know, they ended segregation by law. And now, you know, we're trying to end segregation that just happens to, you know, exist. So I think we are kind of going beyond we are we we have the baton has been passed to us and I think that you know we're doing what we can with it and going to sort of what we want I mean I want everyone to have the the sort of the right I mean to safety but also I everyone to have a job I want everyone to have a house I want have everyone to have a a, an beyond an adequate k-12 education like these are things that it's it's about race but it's also just about kind of our social structure to begin with yeah 
And like even kind of going like just going back to this point, like I just really want to harp on the point that like no age is too young to educate on race relations in America. Like when I was six, I had a conversation with a friend and our parents about race relations. Like they were able to talk to us about race relations and that kind of stuff at six years old that we understood that. Like from that moment, I understood, my friends understood. Like I think it's this idea that like in order to enact real change, it starts at home and we need to have conversations and we need to have, like I don't want to grow up in a world where my children and my children's children have to like fake it till they make it. Like this idea that like you can't embrace your full blackness, you have to act like there's equality in order to until until you have like a platform to speak on it. Like I felt like that was my experience and like I don't want that to be the experience of my children. Like I want my children to grow up in a place where it's not like a white community or black community, it's just a community. Like it's not like they have only white friends or only black friends, they have just friends. I think that's like so important, like having education, having like equality in every sphere. It sounds impossible, but it's possible. Like they're, they're, if we all work together, it's possible. It seems like it should just happen that way. Like it's so, it's just so mind blowing, but I understand how it happens because like I said, from my own experience with, with growing up in a place where there was just straight up no diversity, it's like, you know, we, everything that we were learning when we're that young and impressionable, you just are, it just becomes ingrained in you, whether you want it to be there or not. And I almost wonder if tying, you know, some kind of education on race relations into school curriculums is a good idea. Absolutely. I mean, my history class failed me. Like I would read (laughs) things where it's like, oh, the happy slaves excuse me huh yeah like um it's all about framing it and like I and I think that there there are movements to make our curriculum more cognizant and transparent of what actually happened because I feel like I've had history teachers who lied to me and it was only um sort of until I had the opportunity to go to college and I was you know fortunate to be able to study history and my eyes were opened and you know just even processing like how different forms of like oppression even continued you know I kind of thought after slavery you know life was sort of good but then I and but and then learning I I just discovered the sort of the next version of slavery which was sort of convict laborers um and then we continued to see how that um, has has evolved over time to now the criminal justice system and like even like just the thought like like we all thought yeah civil rights movement like we're all done but like realistically the civil rights movement didn't start and end with Dr. King mm. like we're just beginning mm-hmm. like that just scratched the surface like there is so much more we need to do and ha- so many different ways we need to educate ourselves about what's going on in order to enact like change in order to be able to talk about these things and it to not be uncomfortable anymore. Like we have to get uncomfortable so it becomes comfortable and intentional that we talk about these things and it's no longer something that we have to talk about because everyone's equal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard whenever, because of course you can't control every single person and you're always going to have people who um, are reacting from an emotional place. Like they're, they've got a lot of anger or resentment or hurt or pain built up over the years. And then I think that's where the, sometimes the messaging can get 
you know, a little bit confused where, or just intimidating and people think, okay, I I just rather say nothing. I see a lot of my friends say this. A lot of my white friends say, I'm, I'm just scared to say anything because I don't want to say something wrong. And, you know, I mean, I've watched a lot of people say like wrong shit (laughs) and it's, and it's not good, you know? And then, and then some of these people have big platforms and they're, and they're spreading the entirely wrong message. So how do we address that? I think honestly, it all comes down to like everyone acting in love, like acting in love, because this is going to be an uncomfortable situation, an uncomfortable conversation. We're all going to say wrong things. We're all going to do wrong things. And like, but the thing is, in order to learn from what we're saying and, and be intentional about what we're saying and learn, we have to be, we can't show up perfectly. No one's going to show up perfectly. This is messy. But like, if you say something incorrectly, instead of someone lashing out about it, someone asking, like someone talking, have a conversation. Like, I didn't necessarily agree with that. And here's why. And this is why this affected me in this way. Like, I literally had that conversation with one of my friends who said something about looting. And the way she said it, I was like, hey, like, I kind of feel like this is like directing at colored people of color and black people specifically by saying it this way. And we had a conversation about it. And she was like, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I think, yeah, this, if I don't understand the experience, so I can't really talk to that, but like, I'm going to, she like changed what she said and like reposted it because she was like, and made an intention to be like, I'm changing what I'm saying because I had a conversation with someone about this and this is how this person took it. And that was not my heart. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to like everyone acting in love and being intentional to like not point fingers, but try to work together to create a message and talk about a message. I think that's such a great, point and what I would add is it is okay to follow and and not lead and I feel like that is something that you know has been so ingrained in me like if I see a problem I have to fix it like it's got to be me but there are already people who are doing the work so my question is how can I uplift people who are doing the work that I see and I value and so to people who have platforms I think one is articulating like I care I'm, I'm learning, I'm reflecting, and I encourage you all to do so. And repost Black dif- voices. I think, that, I think, honestly, that's the way. I want to make sure we're centering the people who are involved and then inviting others into conversation. Um, because like, that's, that's the only way that we're going to actually understand what's going on. And I think that... I mean, yeah, go yeah, ahead, please. And that's- that's what we're, I mean, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you too, because I feel like just because I have this platform, I'm in no way whatsoever should be a spokesperson on any of this. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the thing is, is just because you have, you're, you're kind of thrust into this position all of a sudden where you're supposed to like be an expert on everything. And that's just not the reality. And, no. <laughs> you know, I was both probably the most excited to have this conversation with you guys, like of all the shows that I've hosted, I was probably the most excited, but also the most kind of just, you know, unsure or nervous about it because I think that like everyone, I'm really just trying to learn and become better informed. And and I think that these conversations are so important. I wanted to have this and, and like use this as an example, but I think to exactly what you're saying, it's like not about me and it's not about what I think about it. And it's not what I, it's, it's about what the people who actually know what they're talking about are saying and just trying to amplify that. Yeah. And like, even going off that, like me and Sophie always talk about this, like we aren't experts and like, we've had like, 
we've had very different black experiences. Like we, every black person has their own different black experience that's unique to them. So like we aren't the say all be all for black experiences, but at the same time, using your platforms and amplifying black voices is a way to enact change because there, for so many years, black voices have been silenced, Mm -hmm. like through slavery, through the civil rights movement, through all these things, through education, through redlining, like we've, black voices have been silenced and like it's us all coming together and realizing like even I like I need to do a better job also of amplifying black voices like everyone has a has a position in this everyone has an action they can be doing in this to to make those like country and this world and a better place and I think also what's so important and it's so important about Caitlin what you're doing is socializing and normalizing that these conversations yeah. are good to have like that. Yeah. Like, I think that everyone is is scared to talk about race because they don't know, you know, what the right thing um, to say is or what the right thing to do is. But I think even just telling people like, these are conversations that I've been having, like you should be having them as well. And like, it, like it's, it's, that's okay. Like I grew up in a place where we didn't talk about religion. We didn't talk about politics. We didn't talk about race. Those were like the three things. But I think we're in a moment where like we need we need to be ta- we need to be talking and yeah. kind of teaching folks to unlearn that discomfort and sort of also just like lack of um, kind of ex- acceptability to even talk about these things is so important. Yeah, and like even kind of going off that like me and Sophia have different black experiences. Like I grew up in a place where we talked about religion. My dad was a pastor, like, and how big that was. But at the same time, like me, even being a black Christian, like we didn't talk about it in the church. Like we need to talk, like racism doesn't exclude you. You don't like, you're not excluded just because you're a Christian. Like I'm proud to be black, but I'm also proud to be a Christian. But I also like, we need to talk about it in the church. We need to talk about it in every single sphere. Every sphere has to be talking about this and every sphere has to be welcoming conversation. That's why I'm like honestly so thankful for this because and thankful for you, Caitlin, because like this in a lot of ways, like is healing. Right. It's healing for both sides. Just to be able to have a conversation and to be raw and real about what's going on in this country and like what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. Like being able to have that conversation is just so important. Yeah. Yeah. How do you both feel right now? Like just personally with everything that's going on? I honestly haven't really been sleeping. Um, I'm exhausted. And I'm, I'm also, what I'm nervous about, and, and Ghazi and I have just, have been talking a lot about, you know, our role. And I'm really scared that this is a trend right now, right? Like, posting a black square like I've seen a lot of people post black squares and then I've seen no follow-up I saw nothing beforehand and I'm willing to like I am willing to meet folks where they are but I'm just worried if it's not cool to be talking about this you know where we where do we go you know if it has to be a trend so I mean that's what I'm talking about that's what's been exhausting me that's what's been scaring me because so keeping momentum keeping, essentially yeah. momentum like, this yeah is, this is the thing like it's like the idea that like and Sophie and I like I literally talked to my therapist yesterday because I am anxious like I have anxiety I can't sleep I'm not eating well like I'm not taking care of myself because I'm trying to take on this burden of like oh I need to be a black voice in this world but like in order for us all to like have momentum and continue this and this injustice not be a trend 
we need to learn, like I am learning this myself. I need to learn when to bench myself, like when to bench myself, to take time for myself, to get off my phone, get off social media and just take time to self-reflect and live in the, in the pain and hurt I'm feeling because I'm not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to use our voice. No one's going to be able to use their voice if we're tired then it, justice will become a trend. Like we need to learn how to take a break and take time off, but then also like when to speak up and how to speak up and how to show up. Cause like right now, if I'm being honest, I'm like exhausted. I'm tired. Like I literally am like, I like don't know if I can, like I'm anxious. Like I just, it's just like, I don't want this to just be something we talk about now. The pandemic ends, we go back to normal life and our children's children are still dealing with this. Like it's something that we need to continue to talk about. But like, as a black person in this country, it's hard. It's exhausting and it's tiring. And I don't know, it, I'm sorry to cry, but it's just, it's like raw, real emotion. Like it's hard, like it is extremely hard. Um, and like, it's just holding on to this hope that like, this won't just be a trend. Like this is, will be something that people continue to talk about and continue to enact change because it's important. And like, this is like, it's hard because it's like, as a black person also you have different experiences and like like if if George Floyd was my father like would you do the same thing like it's just like so hard it's just one of those moments where you just want to be like I could be George Floyd like Sophia could be George Floyd Brenna Taylor like we could be those people that's the biggest thing like we could be those people so we need to do something yeah well I mean you explaining all of that is just so, it just really puts things into perspective a lot more, you know, I also, how different the experiences that we're having are. Yeah. I also think that we're all experiencing and processing emotions differently. I think Gazi and I are both, we're just exhausted because the work that, you know, we've, we've done is engaging and having these conversations and sharing and reading. But I also want to acknowledge that a lot of people are mad. A lot of people are angry. They don't trust anyone. And I think that in the reaction that we're seeing, and, and I, I hope it's okay to kind of address like the different forms of, of protests going on. Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm tired of, of seeing people call Black people thugs and calling them looters and rioters because what do you want us to, what do you want us to, to do? And I am not condoning any physical violence, um, you know, whatsoever. Like that is a bar that I believe or a line that should never be crossed. But when we talk about property destruction, and again, like I would encourage anyone to not destroy, you know, small businesses, but like part of the reason why this is getting so much attention is because people are forced to look. And I would encourage anyone who is questioning the ways in which people are expressing their outrage, their pain, their fear to really take a minute and not just think about, you know, the consequences of what actions happen, but like what was inflicted onto that person to make them feel like this is what they needed to do. And also what, you know, Everyone who's going to a lot to some of these protests, they're putting themselves in, in danger. They we're at a point where we know, like I, I like I'm fearful that you know my family will be the next one. And yeah. in order to prevent that, in order to support the families that it is, 
we're showing up, we're trying to keep this momentum going. And so again, well, I, I'm not, I, I think there are a, a variety of ways to protest and to engage, doing ways strategically, like, you know, drawing attention by standing outside of government buildings or, you know, potentially um, even kind of inflicting property damage on those buildings. That, that is on the news and politicians are forced to respond and, and engage and do something about it. So I just would really encourage everyone to take a moment to understand how do you get to a point where one, you don't trust anyone, you don't feel comfortable and that this is your last resort because we can't, we know kneeling is not enough. Like we, we need to actually keep the attention going in ways that are disruptive and disruptive yeah. doesn't necessarily mean destroying buildings. It means disrupting your timeline. You can take a moment yeah. to read the article that I share. You can take a moment to acknowledge that a black person died and, or I'm sorry, was yeah. murdered or killed. Like or that, I like, think that we need to be comfortable with um, disruption because I don't want what, what has been normal. Like we, it, like we will never go back to that. We can never go back to that. And I think we need to also make a distinction that it's not just black men, it's black mm. women. Like Breonna Taylor was a black woman and she arrests haven't been made. Like like oftentimes a lot of black women, trans women, men, trans women, mm. men and women, like a lot of times these people, people who are marginalized in the intersection within black are marginalized further or neglected. Um, so just realizing that like this affects all people that are black this affects everyone um is something i think is super important to like even recognize because even like her birthday's tomorrow and like we need to say her name too like brianna taylor we need to say her name too because like she was killed too and murdered and there's so many different black people in different intersections that are dealing with this stuff yeah i've been i've seen a lot of small business owners in fact i saw one this morning um on the news who said her I think a restaurant had been in Washington, D.C. had been destroyed. And she said she posted to social media before anyone puts any words in our mouths, Black Lives Matter. Like she was like, I don't care. My business will come back. We like this is so much bigger than my business. And actually, one of my best girlfriends as well, she has a restaurant here in L.A. and her and it was, you know, just really damaged during the riot or the protest the very first night that it started here in L.A., and she, I was really proud of her too for saying the same messaging. She was like, I can clean up all of this. Like, this is a small price to pay for what needs to be happening right now and to like get people's attention and to make this actually, because I mean, that's a part of the problem too, is the media just covers what's so dramatic. Yeah. I think it's sensationalization. Like the media sensationalizes like the loss of a black life. Like to continue for the news, like I was on a call yesterday with Emerald, um, Emerald Garner, who is the daughter of Eric Gardner, who years ago, like, I think it's six years now, he was, he said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and was killed by a police officer. And I think the news likes to sensationalize things and, like, show it over and over and over again, a Black life being lost. But, like, we have to think about their families. Like, we have to think about people's families. Like, they have to see this mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Like, Black people have to see this over and over again. It's not, like, performance. It's... Right. It's very traumatic. traumatic. It's it's traumatic. Like, and, like, 
I feel like the news needs to take time to realize like, how are we sensationalizing this? Are we making this better? Are we making this worse? Like, how are we affecting people by showing what we're showing? Like, are we showing the whole picture? Because right. I don't think it, you can be truly unbiased news unless you show the whole picture. Mm-hmm. What would you guys, sorry, because I feel like we could talk about this forever and <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to keep you for like four hours, but to anyone who's listening, what would you say, what would you recommend? Because of course they can read the materials that you guys have put together and they're on my Instagram and for anybody who wants to access those. And then um, at, when we're done here, um, I'll ask you guys to share where they can find more about the two mm-hmm. of you. Um but what would you recommend somebody who is just like literally starting from the very beginning? What would you recommend as the first things that they could do to take action in some way? I mean, and Gazi piggyback off of me. So I think that the three pillars that like I've been really promoting are kind of reflect, like reflect first, learn second, engage third. And so, you know, reflecting, we posted a, a bunch of reflection questions. I'm working on, a, on, a, on another set um, and putting up a website so that people will be able to access that. Um, but I think reflect about when you first thought about race, reflect about what, how are, how are you taught to deal with police officers? Do you think that, you know, politicians are on your side? Just, you know, reflect reflect on every aspect because I think what's really difficult is race and racism trickles everywhere. And I think that acknowledging the explicit horrors that we're seeing are one thing and we've got to do something about that, but there are tangible things that we can do internally by just acknowledging our our positionality. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like the reflect, learn, I'm trying to stop telling people to read books because I, you're not going to, you're not going to read books. Like I, I am, I'm in school and there are books that people keep sharing that I'm like, I've not read. You have not read. Stop telling people to read a 500 page book. Like what? Come on now. Um, But I do think there are, I mean, yeah, it's pathetic that we actually can't expect anyone to read a book, but it's true. Um, But uh, maybe I was actually going to, that was the next thing I was going to ask. I was going to say, are there books or are there, um, programs on TV or films that you think are particularly Yeah, there's helpful. a book that I'm currently reading right now, which I think um, is super accessible to, to, to read. And it's called um, White Kids uh, Growing Up with Privilege in a Racially Divided America. And yeah. why I like this book is because it is teaching about how kids learn race. Um, and it's, it's kind of, you know, it starts with, well, how did parents choose which neighborhood to live in and which school to send their, you know, kids to? And I think these are things like, I don't know, have you asked your parents why you went to a certain school? Like maybe it was the local, you know, public school, but like your parents chose to live in a certain neighborhood to begin with. And it was probably because of that public school. So I think if I could recommend that book, everyone I think should read it because really shows us you know we were we're, we were taught certain things but we can unlearn them um I don't know if Gaz you have a a... I think one book that I'm reading right now is um Tears We Cannot Stop it's like a sermon to white America um and it talks a lot about like the challenges of like black people in this country but like this idea that we have to like look at 
like what's going on and like there's a lot of things like Sophia said there's a lot of things we've learned from a young age that aren't necessarily the right things we to learn and not not weren't necessarily intentionally um not intentionally to harm but like we're just not necessarily the best things to learn so it's like unlearning those things and like not rejecting like I think a lot of times like there's a lot of pressure honestly um and like a lot of feeling of overwhelming because it's like you want to reject your whiteness or reject that because of the history within it but I think it's like accepting it being aware of it and then using it and using that privilege to then speak on it and take action and like amplify black voices and like I think that's like the biggest thing of the like learning part like being aware and reflecting and being like because until we're aware of it until we understand like who we are and like what makes us us and like accept even the hard like hard painful things we won't be able to like enact change or we won't be able to actually become aware and like start doing step taking steps to to change if we aren't accepting it and being aware ourselves right yeah okay well thank you and what about any movies just because everyone's lazy <laughs> movies <laughs> or shows yeah. I, I watched the movie the hate you give when that came out a few years ago did yeah. you guys see that one that had a big impact on me yeah um, yeah so I, I thought that that was one that I found really interesting. And then I've been hearing from people that the movie 13th. 13th yeah, is, is great. Um, Just Mercy. I have to give a plug for Brian Stevenson, who he is kind of a, a person who I think is a, is a leader within this moment. And he has changed how I think about race and forgiveness and justice. So I think, which is a book and it's also a movie starring Michael B. Jordan. So you know, if, if that's the only reason you watch it, that's fine. <laughs> um, Everyone can agree on Michael. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that movies are really good. I also just want to say that images matter. We know that the news sensationalizes. So, you know, what are you watching for fun, uh, like on TV? Like, make sure there are Black characters. Make sure the Black characters aren't criminal or aren't only criminals. Oh. Like, I think that is like, a way to start like I wrote or I gave a whole presentation on Grey's Anatomy and why I think that show is actually like advancing like a lot of issues because you see women who are powerful surgeons you see mm -hmm. black yeah. leaders within the hospitals and it's just seeing those images and like you know loving certain characters that like it matters and like you start to internalize yeah. and process that so I would also encourage people to consume black media as well yeah like one show that I watch every week is Insecure mm -hmm. and it is it just like shows that there's different there's different black experiences like black women aren't all the same experience but also it kind of educates you and like obviously that's not the only representation of black women but like it educates you more on like just the black experience and like kind of the things we go through and like yeah well, thank you both so much. I, well, first of all, can you, do you guys mind sharing where people can find you going forward on social yes. media? So I, you can find me at, at Gazi Musa. My, it's Nigerian. It's actually in Gazi, but I say Gazi, um, N-G-O-Z-I-M-U-S-A. And then also at aesthetics underscore underscore athletics um, is a platform that I started to inspire and empower the athlete and every woman. And uh, being a black woman, it's something that I, I use that platform to also elevate black women, black female athletes' um, voices. Um, and then I am at shunt1997. And you can find me on Twitter and you can find me on Instagram. And then I am 
by the time this is probably released, my website will be live called questionsnotanswers.org, which is going to be a great resource, I hope, for people who want to continue to start conversations um, and reflect on the role of kind of race um, in this country in general. Okay, well, I think want to thank both of you for everything that you're doing right now. I know it's exhausting. And I also really appreciate you taking the time to be here. And you're so informative, so intelligent, so fun to talk to and so interesting. And I'm just really glad that we just even if no one else ever heard this, <laughs> I'm just glad that the three of us got to have this conversation because it this is what I, I want to see this. I think this is what we all want to see going forward is like these conversations and this, if we can continue to do this, and that's what I would like to encourage everyone who's listening to this also to do is just like have these conversations and open your mind and open your heart and just like try to move forward in a positive way in this whole movement and take it seriously. And like you said, like not, don't let us lose the momentum. Yeah. So thank you again. I thank hope you guys take us. care. And- Thank you yeah, for having of course. Us. No, I'm so, so happy and so grateful that you guys took the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.